as we worship here this morning, we are also, yeah, um, some family business here. Thank you. As we worship here in Orlando at 11.05 a.m., uh, our Dominican Republic team is worshiping the Lord in the Dominican Republic at 11.05 a.m. as well. I don't think there's a time difference, um, not during this season at least. Uh, worshiping the Lord God together. And, and today, um, the skit that they did last week, the human healer skit that was really powerful and made a lot of us cry. A lot of y'all cry. <laughs> just kidding. A lot of us cry. A lot of y'all cry. Um, they'll be doing that in just a little bit. And so we remember them and we think about them. And, and it's awesome. Not only them in the Dominican Republic, but throughout the world, you know this, in, in Asia, in South Korea, China, in Africa, where Albert is, in Ghana, um, in a place that's 90% populated by, um, uh, by, by Muslims, um, Middle East, in Latin America, South America, Australia, and every continent, people are worshiping, the world are worshiping the same God that we worship. And the interesting thing is that, well, this has happened throughout every century, every century since the dawn of time, this has been happening, but we are worshiping a God that we have never before seen with our own eyes. Isn't that bizarre? That we're worshiping a God that we've never seen with our own physical eyes. And not only that, but not only do we worship, but some people drastically and dramatically have altered the landscape of their lives, not only the landscape, but the trajectory of their lives in obedience to this unseen God. And many people throughout history have even given their lives for the sake of this God. Why would people do that for a God that they've never before seen? It doesn't make much sense to a lot of people. It, it was a few decades ago that when Russia began to send people into space. Did you know? I don't know why they, it is like this, but in America they're called astronauts, and a lot of countries are called astronauts. But in Russia, you know what they're called? Cosmonauts. Why is that? Well, who knows? But that's what they're called. Cosmonauts went out into outer space. They flew up into space. And this one guy went up there. This is famous. He went up there and he said, I flew up there. I went as far as we could possibly go. And you know what? I did not, could not, did not see God. It's very interesting. So C.S. Lewis, he's this great thinker. He's a a philosopher, an author, a a, a preacher. He wrote, um, oh, what are those children's? The Lion, the Witch, and the Lord. Narnia, right? Didn't he write Narnia? He wrote all that stuff. Good friends with Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. But C.S. Lewis, as he heard that, he said, of course you didn't see God. That would be like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle trying to find Shakespeare. He said, God is not confined into our universe any more than Shakespeare is confined into the, the, the writings that, uh, of Hamlet. He says, we will see God in the same way, and we will know about God in the same way that Hamlet would know about Shakespeare only if Shakespeare wrote about himself in the pages of the story. And in the same way, the Bible tells us that God has written a revelation of himself within the story of our lives and the story of our world in such a way that we may not have 100% proof that God exists, but we have with almost certainty, we can see the clues line up to show the existence of a God, the God that we worship, the God of the Bible, the God 
for, for whom countless people have given their lives. So if we look in Psalm chapter 19, we're going to see this revelation. How did God reveal himself to us? Um, and it's very, very, I mean, the, the outline is very simple. But Psalm 19, this is God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display language. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. Very interesting. Uh, Psalm 19 is almost like, I don't know um, if you've ever cut a watermelon before. This is kind of a, it might be nonsensical. It might be an analogy that came to me when I was tired. But um, you ever take a watermelon and you take a big knife and you slice it right down the middle and right? These two sides fall open like this. Psalm 19 is kind of like this. Like you take a knife and you cut it right down the middle and bam, both sides fall open. And each side talks about one of the ways in which God has so beautifully revealed himself to the world. The first part we see, and again, this is very simple. God revealed himself through the world that we live in and God revealed himself through the word. You could say it another way. You could say it like this, that God has revealed himself to us in two ways. One is through the sky and the other is through the scripture. The ancient theologians have often divided these two things into the general revelation, revelation that you don't need, anyone can see this, and then there's a special revelation that comes to us in the Word of God. Okay, so the world and the Word, these are the two things we're going to look at. Now, what is he saying about the world? Let's look at it in verses 1 through 4. Let me just kind of start off here, and then we'll springboard into a couple of things. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. How do we know God exists? He says, when you look up at the heavens and you look up at the skies, you cannot help but to see, okay, here's the reality, that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And the skies, when you look at them, are proclaiming the work of his hands. And it's not just talking about, we see this a lot in Orlando. You look outside on, and on a given day and you'll see this like airplane and behind it is a trail of smoke that says Jesus loves you or God is love or something like that. Heavens declare the glory of God. That's not what he's talking about here. They didn't have airplanes when David was writing. 
May the heavens declare the glory of God. He's saying when you go outside and you look at nature, you look at creation, you look up in the sky, the heavens are declaring, are proclaiming the fact that there is a God and he is altogether glorious, that all of these things are in motion and it's not for you or me, but this is all for the glory of God. And they're declaring this. And he goes on verse two, day after day, they pour forth speech Night after night, they display knowledge. So he's saying there is not a moment of the day, okay, the 24-hour day. There's not a moment of the day where you cannot see the glory of God. Eugene Peterson says, at daytime, in the morning, Professor Day begins lecturing about the glory of God. And in the evening, Professor Knight begins lecturing about the glory of God. There's not a moment in the 24 hours of your day that the glory of God is not on full display. And when it says they pour forth speech, it's saying they're not just trying to whisper it. They're not being silent here. They're, they're spewing it out, kind of like Yosemite. Bam, this geyser, and it's just pouring out the glory of God. Have you seen it? Have you seen the glory of God in the created order, in the world that we live in? And every moment of every day is an opportunity for the glory of God to be on full throttle, full display for the entire world to see. And then he says in verse 3, There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Say, no matter what, ethnicity, no matter what country, no matter what language you speak, it doesn't matter who you are, the simplest and even most innocent people can look up at the heavens and they can see the reality that there is a God who made this and he is altogether glorious. We may not see who he is or understand who he is by looking at creation, but there is a sense in which uh, the, the writer David is saying, you have to understand, you have to believe that there is, there is a God because the heavens are declaring that glory. They're spewing it forth. They're, they're, they're shouting it. They can't keep silent. They can't hold back that the glory of God is being displayed through all that we see in nature. I like how um, David Crowder, he, he talks about it this way, and it may not, it might, may not be um, that helpful, but he, he talks about how like, you know, a lot of times you get your favorite music group and uh, you find out they've got a new album coming out and they're going on tour right? and they're going everywhere. And so you're really excited. You want to catch them. You want to see them, whoever it is. It's like you too, or it's Jason Mraz or um, I don't know, um, whoever, whoever it is that you really like. And, and Carrie Underwood, you're really excited to, to, to see them and you go on the internet and you find out where they are, where they're coming. He says, the glory of God is on tour. It's coming soon to a city near you and it's constantly playing the glory and the worth and the wonder and the reality of our God. And you don't have to wait. You don't have to go to some uh, Australian desert. You don't need to go to, uh, to some wayward place. But wherever you are, you look up and you see the glory of God. Now, he gives an example of one way in which this happens in verse 4. It says, in the heavens... He has pitched a tent for the sun. So he personifies the sun, okay, the sun hanging out in the sky. You've you, you seen the sun. And he says, all of heaven is like a tent for it. And then it, it talks about it in verse 5. The sun is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Right? So a, a bridegroom, as soon as he gets married and they go on their honeymoon, and that morning he wakes up and he comes forth with all of his splendor and all of his glory and with all of that joy. And that's the sun. 
Hey, the son is like that. The son is like a new husband who has just found the love of his life and has encountered her for the first time. And then he comes out of his pavilion declaring the glories of the one with whom he is with. He says, not only like that, but he's like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It's like Usain Bolt as he runs and you could see the utter glee on him as he dominates and leaves uh, his competitors in the wake, in the dust. It's like that joy that you see is the joy of the sun as it displays the glory of God. And then he says, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The sun is declaring, it's dancing throughout the heavens to declare the glory of God. Why does the sun do this? Because it's saying that God who made me is altogether glorious, is altogether amazing, is altogether worthy. And David's saying, every time you go outside and you look at the sun or you feel the effects of the sun, you recognize and you realize that this is the glory of God on display in your life. Every time you get a sunburn and you have to put aloe on, you realize that nothing is hidden from its heat, that this is the glory of God on display. Did you know that when you walk outside and you begin to feel the heat from the sun, this is, how, this is how great and big the sun is, okay? Check this out. This is why some people in the old days worship the sun. God, God is saying the sun has been created. The sun testifies to the greatness of God, the creator. And he's speaking against this fact that we ought to worship the sun. But here's what, the sun, this is how great the sun is. I don't worship it. I don't, you know, I don't even stare at it, nor, nor should you. But here's what's happening. When you walk outside today, some of you walked outside and you said, oh my gosh, it's hot outside. The heat that you feel is light that has left the sun eight minutes ago. Did you know that? Oh, Danny knew that. See, Danny's so red. He needs to get out of the sun a little bit. But eight minutes ago, light has left the sun, and you feel that eight minutes later as you walk out. Isn't that crazy? That's how huge the sun is. You know why the sun is dancing so much? Every second, every second, the sun is losing four billion tons of its own mass. Right? Some of y'all are saying, good night. If I can have a detox program like that, four million tons of its own mass. That's like, it's, that, that's huge. Come on, give me some smile or something. Oh my gosh, that's huge. But four million tons, not four million pounds, four million tons. That's a lot of poundage right there. But five or six billion years longer, the sun is to continue burning, shining, brightly declaring the glory of God until it phases out. Right, this is the greatness of the sun. Did you know the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth? You know this, right? Maybe some of y'all did if you took physical science instead of social science like me. But I, I studied, I, I read this. 93 million miles, in order to get from here to there, you would have to take the fastest passenger plane that we had and you would have to ride it 24 hours a day for 17 years, and you would finally get to the sun. I don't know why you would want to get to the sun, but when you, when you get there, you would realize, holy cow, that was a long time. Like, that's like, some of y'all, that's like a lot, that's like your whole life. You'd still be traveling. Like, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, I'm starting to get hot, right, this is bad. That's how far away the sun is, but that's how huge, the, that's, how, that's how big and amazing the sun is. But the sun is just one of 300 billion stars in our galaxy. It's not like the biggest or the baddest or the brightest. It's just an average normal star, just like all the other ones that twinkle, 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 shine so, right? That's a star. 
That 300 billion stars, that if you were to take your thumb and hold it out like this, you would block 15 million stars from view if you could see them with the naked eye. I know some of y'all like Korean ladies, your thumb is bigger and it would block out 30 million. But (laughs) 15, the average thumb, okay? The average thumb would block out 15 million stars. And we are just one of billions and billions of galaxies. The sun is just one of these, and it dances its course whenever we see that God spoke this into being without lifting a finger. He said it, and all of this was created. Let there be light. Bam! And it was so. And the universe ever expanding in all of its vastness and all of its beauty. Hey, why do stars shine? You know, they, well, Oh, it's like nuclear fusion, isn't it? Right? Hydrogen is becoming helium, and that's why they shine. But the psalmist tells us there's another reason. It's shining for the glory of God. To declare the wonder and the worth and the beauty of the God that people have given their lives and worship to. Right? This is our God. He's saying when you look up, you see the wonder of God, and that brings us into this place of just awe and wonder. Like the... This week on, Saturday, on Sunday night, um, two of our gals, uh, Evelyn and Manny, were, they were going, Evelyn was going home and looking out of the driveway, and they looked up and they saw stars in the sky, and they're like, wow, wow, stars. It's right, so beautiful. When's the last time we marveled at the stars in that way? And it caused them to break out in spontaneous song, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. And they sing that song, and in wonder, and one day they will realize that they're not so little, and the reason they shine so is because of the glory of God. They're proclaiming everything in all of creation is declaring the beauty and the wonder of God and the beauty of his revelation. He has given this to us that we might see the reality of who he is. We, for the past three months, have been our Wednesday night prayer meetings. Um, We've been meeting outside under the stars and and. A lot of times we come to prayer meetings with a lot of baggage, with a lot of, a lot of issues, a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges. And that place, I, I, I think it was Piper who said, we don't need to hear this message that, oh, you know, Jesus loves you. Like, that's important. But more than anything else, in, when, when everything is falling apart in your life, the one thing that you need to realize is that God is sovereign and that he is supreme and that he is greater than everything else. And that he has got everything under control and he's a whole lot bigger than you are. We come into prayer meeting. A lot of times I come into prayer meeting or people come into prayer meeting and sometimes we share our prayer requests and, and, and people talk about this stuff. And, and it's almost like, you know, we feel like God owes us something, don't we? Like, God, I've been doing all this stuff right for all these years and, and, and all of a sudden all this stuff is going wrong. God, where are you in the midst of all this? And then we start, you know, we, we, we sing or we hear the word and then we go out and we just start walking around in this field. And in order to not step in a ditch or something, yeah, I pray with my eyes open a lot of times and I see people. And a lot of times they're just looking up, just looking up at the heavens. Right? There's something completely resizing about looking up at the heavens, kicking and screaming at God and then realizing, hold up, my bad God, you're God, I'm not. You're a whole lot bigger than I am. Right? You made all of this, you're able to take care of me. You're able to do that. There's something about finding a new perspective 
we come kicking and screaming and we go leaving in just utter worship and brokenness before the fact that this kind of a God would hear the prayers of his people and not treat us the way we deserve to be treated. That's the wonder and the worth and the beauty of God. And it is on full display every day for all to see. Whenever we walk outside, whenever you put on sunglasses, understand that we're doing this because the glory of God is visible in all of creation. The way that we see the earth, it's at at 23-degree axis. If it was not, if it was anything other than 23 degrees, then life would not be sustainable because the continents, water vapor rise up and continents would become ice. Who made it this way? Who sustains this world this way? You could go on and on about how songs of creation and, and how birds and all of these things sing their specific song in order to declare the wonder and the glories of God. If the earth crust was just 10 feet deeper, 10 feet deeper, then all of animal life would be wiped out. Right? The temperature would not be sustainable for us to have life. I, I, I don't know, like I never studied biology or astronomy very well, and, but... You could go on and on and list all of these things, how everything in all of the, this, this, this world is perfectly spinning and operating, led by, created by, ruled by the sovereign hand of an altogether perfect God who created this. And, and to think that this came out of, out of nothing, some big bang, and even with this God particle and all that talk, it doesn't, it doesn't remove the fact that somehow and in some way there has to be an intelligent design behind all of this. Someone say, well, there might be, in all of the billions of universes around there, there might be another, another kind of a environment that is sustainable for life. And I think it was uh, Cornelius Planting, or someone, someone said this, you could read this in Keller's book, The Reason for God. There may be, but it's, almost, it's, it's the same thing as saying this. You take the, uh, the, the 50 best archers in the world and you line them up at a five-foot target and you tell them all, take your mark and shoot the probability of every single one of them missing the target, even if you did this billions of times, is the probability of us having this kind of, by random chance, a world in which we can live and breathe and have meaning. Saying, look up at the heavens. All creation testifies to the glory of God. You may not know who this God is by looking at the heavens and looking at creation, but there has to be a sense in our hearts where we realize that there is some kind of a maker. There is some kind of a God. Romans chapter 1 tells us that in chapter 1, verse 19, that all of creation speaks and testifies to the glory of God so that no one has an excuse to say there is no God. The reality, we see this, but we suppress it with our own hearts because of our sinfulness. That's what Romans 1 says. I remember the time in 10th grade, this is by way of analogy, this doesn't explain, but this, this illustrates. 10th grade, we, um, I had gym class and Gym class, we, uh, no one liked playing volleyball when I was growing up. We, it wasn't a varsity sport, so no one played. And so we had a substitute teacher this day, and the teacher said, today we're going to play volleyball. And he started taking role. And as soon as he finished taking role, everybody took off, and they said, yeah, basketball. And he, before he knew it, right, everybody was gone. And he, he's like, wait, wait. And then he threw up his hands in just utter, like, I, I don't know what to do. And he said, this is utter chaos. As everyone went running their own ways. So our teacher comes back, and I don't know if he really said this, but I can imagine the teacher saying something like this. Hey, did you not know? Like, did you not hear what the substitute said? It wasn't basketball day. It was volleyball day. Right? We could all say, you know what? No, he didn't say that. We didn't hear him. We would all be lying. Either we'd be lying or we'd be mistaken. The reality is he was always speaking. We were just ignoring what he was saying. 
Could Romans 1, 20, 21 be true? That all around we see the fingerprints of God, and while there may not be a foolproof way to explain the existence of God, the clues line up in such a way that there is no denying that all these are pointing to the fact that there is a God who made this world. You see, the two volumes of Psalm 19, the world and the word, can only be understood in conjunction with one another because the second one explains the first. The second thing that we see starting in verse 7 is that God revealed himself through the word. And look at what he says in verse 7. This is, this is huge. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Now, if we were to do a Bible study here, like say we're doing a Bible study, I would say, what do you notice in verses 7 through 9? Let's just shout out some observations. And the next question I would ask is, what do you notice about verses uh, 7 through 9 that is different from chapter 19, verse 1? And here's what you would say. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says that heavens declare the glory of God. God in this way is, the, is, is a general term for the one and only God, the creator God, the maker God. That's what we see in verse 1. And, and here's what David is saying. You see that there is a creator God by looking at all that you see in the world. Now, starting in verses 7 through 9, it doesn't say the law of God. It says the law of the Lord. And if you look carefully, the law of the Lord, Lord is capitalized. Everywhere the, the word Lord is capitalized like this, this is the personal name of the one and only God, Yahweh. Here's what he's saying. You can see that there's a God by looking at creation. But you can know this God personally for yourself. You can know his name. You can know him intimately. He can be your father as you look into the word of God. And in verses 7 through 9, David is making it abundantly clear whose word this is, the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. He doesn't want there to be any mistaking that the book that you hold in your hands is the word of God Almighty who wrote himself into the story so that you might know him personally. That the world is the handiwork of God marked by the fingerprints of the maker, but the word of God is a voice of love into your heart so that you might know him in a personal and intimate way. Look at what all the words that he uses to talk about the word of God. This is, this is great. The law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the ordinances, five different words he uses. You know, and we said this all the time. You know how much somebody loves something by how many different names they have for it, right? You, whatever you call your, your, your love bird, you call them something. You've got your own pet names that only you talk about uh, in the privacy of your own home. We call, you know, Manny, we call her Manster, or Manimal. People call her Manatee, whatever it is, Munchkin, Munchkinita, Minimi. We have all these names for her because that's, that's an expression of our affection, of our love for her. And if you look at the psalmist, you look at what David is saying, is all of these different words to talk about his love and his passion for the word of God. And then you jump down in verse 10. He says, you know what? The word of God is more precious than gold. Like that, does that sound nutty to you? Then he, then he goes a little bit further, and then he jumps the gun. He says, not just, not just gold, because like, you could have like cheap gold or a little bit of gold or dirty gold. He says, then much 
pure gold with all of the impurities taken out. It's like billions and gazillions of dollars. Like I, he's saying, I would rather have the word of God than all of that. And if there would be people like that in our day who love the word of God in this way, Piper said, you know, when you're lying on your deathbed, you're not going to ask, oh, you know, your, your closest of kin. Oh, honey, honey, Olive, come to me. Come, come. Hey, can you read my bank statements to me? Tell me how much I have. Tell me how much I have in my Roth IRA. Tell me how much I have in my 401k. Oh, oh, that's music to my ears. When you're dying on your deathbed, here's what you need. Read me the Psalms of hope. Read me Psalm 23. Read me Romans 8. Read me John 3.16. Read me John 14. Read me the word of God. That's what I need. That's what I need. And so many people in our culture, in our generation, are going to die hopeless, even though they're followers of Jesus Christ, because they've not hidden the word in our hearts, because we love money more than we love the word of God. Oh, that we would have people like this who takes seriously the call of, uh, of God to, to be in the word of God, to read it, to love it, to live it, to embrace it. He goes on, he says, you know what? They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And you're like, dude, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. David probably, he's saying honey is his favorite food. The greatest thing in all of his life when he's oh, of the comfort food that he needs. Oh, my, my tears have been my food all day long. Bring me some honey, honey. And he eats his honey and he feels happy. What is that for you? Do you love the word of God more than your favorite food? Enough to, here's, here's your test. Would you, would you fast that in order to demonstrate your hunger for the word of God? Uh, if we would rewrite this, they are more delicious, the word of God is, than pork belly, drizzling with fat. Ah. Uh. Oh, the word of God, they are, they are more delectable than sushi that melts in your mouth, than junior Colombian burger and the crunchy potato chips in it, than a pizza buffet from Papa John's. Oh, steak buffet, not just regular like sirloin, but oh, the kind that you buy in Japan that they feed like only the best kind of food and they massage it daily and they play it classical music so that it can be the finest. Oh, Wagyu beef, Kobe beef, whatever it's called. The word of God, so much better to me than that. And that we could have people like that who would love the word of God in this way, who would just wake up and more than saying, I'm hungry for breakfast, for honeycomb cereal. I want this. I want the word of God. And he longs for it, and he dives into the word of God. He says, this is life to me. I wrote, write on the inside of my Bible. I, I quote this guy named Chris Hill. I say, I get high on this book. Like this, the, the word of God, this is, this is what sustains me. This is what gives me life. When I feel like completely crummy, this is, the, this is the word of God. This is my drug. This is my high. This is where I, I start getting trippy. I don't really, but this is, this is it for me. And I want it to be more. I need it to be more. But why is it? Why is it that the word of God is that great to him? Look at what he says. Look at the adjectives that he does. He says it's perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure, righteous, 
precious, sweet. This is the word of God. Right? Beautiful. Right? That people the world over would die to have the word of God. That in your, if you have a smartphone and you've got a Bible on, you're holding the greatest treasure that the world has ever laid eyes on. Not because of scramble with friends. It's because of the word of God. And it's, it's, it's this. It's right here. Like there's nothing more delightful to me than to hear the pages of Scripture turn as people are looking for the passage before the word of God is preached. This is a beautiful sound to hear this. And, and there's something even like when I, when I pick up the word of God, all of a sudden my heart begins to stand at attention and salute because I want to know what God is saying to me. And there's something about reading a passage of Scripture that just begins to, it just leaps off of the page and burns within the heart. You know what I'm talking about? Like, really, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I want you to ask yourself, do you know? Because this is a testimony of the psalmist, and this is what we ought to be experiencing from God. The Word of God leaping off the pages and burning a hole within our hearts that cause us to say, man, I can't, I can't stay silent. I need to go, and I need to run with this. Three things that the psalmist says the Bible does, the Word of God does, it says in verse 7, it revives the soul. Second part of verse 7, makes wise the simple. Verse 8, gives joy to the heart. Is your soul, is your soul dry? Does your soul need reviving? I'll tell you what, better than waiting for September and Pastor Dave to come, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You could get this now. You could get this today. You could get this anytime you have the word of God. It revives the soul. Have a hard time worshiping? John chapter 4, Jesus talks to a woman at the well. He says, you need to worship in spirit and truth. Whenever John talks about truth, it's talking about truth as the word of God. Here's the deal. If you're having a hard time worshiping in the congregation or in personal worship, it's not that you need to pray more or try harder or live a better life. He's, a lot of times it's as simple as go to the word of God. This is kindling for the fire in your hearts. Revives the soul. You get this word into your heart and then you sing. It's like a match being lit. It's like, bam, your heart just begins to catch on fire. It is reviving stuff. I tell people all the time, you know what? They say, Pastor, I'm, I, feel, I feel tired. I feel weary. I don't, wanna, I don't feel near to God. Simplest diagnostic questions. I say this all the time. Are you reading the word? No, I haven't been in the word. It's just hard to read the word. Have you been praying? No, I don't, I, don't trust, I don't trust God right now. That's it. That's it. So sometimes people say, can you do a, a seminar on how to grow spiritually? I say, that's it. Just read the word. Pray. Do it. Stop talking about all these other things, reading other books. Other books are good, but no other book says, no, about no other book is it spoken that is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure, precious, sweet. It's the word of God. It's unlike any other. There's a reason why this is the greatest selling book in all of human history, because people have experienced this. It gives joy to the heart. Last night, some of us were, were, were meeting and sharing and, and praying. And one of our guys said, you know, I've been away from the word of God because things have been a little bit crazy. But this past week, I got back into the word of God and I just felt this gladness in my heart. I felt joy. I felt like I haven't felt in six weeks. 
is being in the Word of God. Do you need joy? You lack joy in your life? Here, here's your prescription. Take two and call me in the morning. See if it's not better. Right? It brings joy. It makes wise the simple. Do you ever feel like, you know what? I've got all these decisions to make, and I don't know how to make Am I supposed to move to this place? Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to go to this college? Am I supposed to do this major? Am I supposed to love this person? What, do I, what am I supposed to do? Probably the simplest advice that I would give to you based on this is as you live in the Word of God that is revealed to you in Scripture, you'll begin to find out the will of God that is concealed to you in the future. When you live out the revealed will, you will begin to understand the concealed will. Now you, throughout Proverbs, that's, that, that's, how we, that's how we make wise decisions, is we understand the Word of God. We begin to live it. And as we do, like God tunes our hearts accordance with the Word of God. Right? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord who directs his paths. It's the Lord's purpose that will be accomplished. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, by them, by your word, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Have you ever, have you ever heard the word of God and understood that it's a warning to you? That if you live a certain way, if you go down a certain path, that it's going to be destructive to your soul? And yet, how many times do we rationalize? How many times have we? How many times have we said this? I know the Word of God says this, but it will be different with me. I know countless people have fallen into this trap, gotten involved with drinking and drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is. But we say, you know what? It'll be different with me. And we say that all the time. And predictably, the results are the same over and over and over again because the Word of God is true, and it's sure, and it's right. It tells us this is, this is, the, proper, this is the proper boundary for the beautiful gift of sexual relationships. This is it in the context of marriage between man and woman. Even now, I am appalled. That, there are, that even in our denomination, it was brought to the floor of General Assembly, that they're trying to change the definition of marriage to be two people committed in covenant rather than one man and one woman. And you fight against the law of God, you're fighting against, you're pushing against the blessing of God every time. Because in the word of God is a warning that tells you of the path to avoid and the path to walk on. And in avoiding the path of destruction, there is great reward. And ignoring the warning of God, there is momentary pleasure, but there is a lasting pain. I think if we were to turn the tables around and we were to open up the microphone and have people come up and share testimonies, we would all have testimonies of that. I fought against the word of God, and it pushed back against me, and it broke me. Like You could fight against the law of gravity as much as you want. You could ignore its warnings, but you jump off a roof, you're going to you're going to fall. That's it. It's simple. You push against the physical laws that God has ordained, it's going to push back against you. You push against the spiritual laws and the word of God as he's ordained, it's going to push back against you. That's it. 
says there's warning in it, but in keeping them, there's great reward. And so the plea of verse 12 and 13, who can discern his own errors? And then he says two categories of sin. Forgive my hidden faults. Things that I've done that I don't even know I did wrong. And then verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins, sins that I did willfully, knowing that I was doing wrong. These two, two things, may they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. How can he say that? Okay, so he's living this life. He has willfully committed certain sins, just like you and I have. And he's also committed sins that he didn't even know were sins, just like you and I have. And he's saying, God, if you will keep me from these things, then I will be blameless and I will be innocent. How can someone who's done all kinds of sins, willfully and unwillfully, be innocent, be blameless, be pure? It's because God not only wrote himself glimpses and proofs of himself into the story, but he actually entered into the story. God that even if you go to the highest heavens of outer space, you could not see God infinite, eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise and true God put himself into the story wrapped in human flesh and entered into a tiny manger in Bethlehem guided by a star that was declaring the glory of the God who was born to a virgin in a tiny little barn. And the reason he came was so that wayward people who had ignored the warning signs of Scripture and had hurt themselves and had hurt other people could be brought back to the knowledge of God, not simply by the special revelation of the word of God, but by the, by the grandest revelation of all, God himself coming in human flesh and showing up, living out scripture so that everywhere people looked, they saw a living embodiment of the word of God, someone who did what was right, avoided willful sins, avoided the unwillful sins, heeded every warning, gained great reward, but the great reward that he, that he earned, he gave all of that up. Why? He understood that only, that only one group could have the reward. It could be the sinful ones like you and me who forfeited the reward, or it could be the perfect, sinless, righteous one, Jesus Christ alone, who received the reward. But in order that we might be relieved from the punishment that was due us, Jesus Christ, who lived this perfect, sinless, the only one who could say he was innocent and blameless, took our punishment by dying on the cross for us. And the reward that only he earned for being innocent and blameless was given to the sinful, to you and me, by virtue of faith. Because we say, I make this trade. I give you my punishment and I take your reward upon myself. Like this, is the, this is the gospel of Christ. This is the message of the church of Jesus Christ throughout all generations is that you don't have to earn your way to God. You, in fact, you can't earn your way to God because your best deeds are tainted by sin. But there is one who earned it for you. And he says, all you have to do is believe that I did this for you and take and I took your place. That you might have what I have. And so in verse 14, whenever the word of God is declared, there's a response. And so he responds. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's only on this side of the cross that we understood really what he means when he talks about a redeemer because these are the songs of the Savior. Our response in light of the revelation of God in nature and in the word of God is, God, I want to live a life of surrendered and grace-driven holiness. May the words I speak and the thoughts I think be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. As I uh, invite our praise team to um, just come up and to lead us in a time of response through just the music they play. I know that um, a lot of us have been going to church for some time. Um, And I don't know where we all are in our spiritual journey, but if we could just all close our eyes, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you can just talk to God. Maybe there are areas of warning that he's pressed into your heart today that he's calling you to step away from in order that you might live in the reward that God has for you. Every time the revelation of God is brought, there has to be a response. And so if you're a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, you can respond in that way. But there may be some of us in here, maybe you regularly come out here, maybe you don't regularly come here. But as you're here today, You've heard the word of God. You feel like, you know what? Maybe what you say is right. Maybe there is a sense that in all of creation, there is a creator and there is a God. And maybe through the word of God, I can get to know him. If there's any in here who you feel like you don't have a relationship with God, but you want to begin one through Jesus Christ, to recognize that we have messed up, but that he has paid the price for us. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to um, just invite you to make a decision today. There's no, uh, no pressure. There's no coercion or anything like that. But if what the Bible says is true, then there needs to be a response, one way or the other. So as our eyes are closed, I'll just offer this invitation. If that's you, you feel like, you know what, I need Jesus in my life. I want to have a relationship with this God, have purpose, the way that the Bible says it was meant to be lived. If that's you, if you could just raise your hand from where you are, that would be, uh, that'd be cool. And just recognize you and we can chat together later, exchange a message or something like that. If there's anybody like that, you just raise your hand from where you are. don't know if there's anyone like that um, in here. Um, and that's okay. You know, it's okay that you don't um, respond. But if in your heart um, that's something that you just feel like I'd like to explore more, then yeah, I would definitely invite you to just pray to the Lord and say, God, reveal yourself. Continue to show yourself to me. 
that I might know that if you really are real, I want to come to know you. So let's, let's pray together as we conclude this part of our time and then, and then move on. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us, and that you did not leave us alone, grasping and groping for answers to find out if there is a God. But you have demonstrated that through the created order, and you've demonstrated that through the word of God. So we pray that you would fill our hearts with wonder and with awe. And for all of us, that you would help us to move towards you, that we would get to know you in a deeper way, in a better way, in response to your great revelation. We thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. Would you continue to do that, and may we continue to respond in grateful surrender. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.